Welcome back to Aspen Answered. I'm really excited today. I hope everybody else is really excited too. We have the distinct honor of interviewing Dr. Lindsey Blom. Uh, Dr. Blom served as the 36th president of ASP from 2021 to 2022. Currently, and many folks may not be aware of this, she is the Associate Athletic Director for Championship Performance at Ball State University, where she also holds the faculty rank of professor in their Graduate Sport and Exercise Psychology program. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you all for your time, and thank you for working on this project. It's great. Well, it just comes with the territory. We're happy to do it. Um, it's been a, a cool experience, and we're really, really glad to have you join us today. So this is this is a special one because you are at the time of this recording the most recent past president of ASP. And so we were kind of joking before that it feels a little bit weird to be like talking about some of the, you know, topics that we have in store for today just because some of it's pretty pretty recent for you. So yeah, and I think then the the uh the idea is very interesting and twist too to have you in the president elect role oh, while yeah. you're conducting this interview. So um yeah. Okay. A lot of firsts. Right. Which really I think as we kind of the elephant in the room is like when that happened, we then realized that something's very wrong with our election process. But <laughs> <laughs> we count for sure. How did this guy end up? in that in that role so no it's with great mentors and um role models that you know i think that happens and so um yeah it's, it'll be weird two years from now kind of sitting where you are you know yeah, absolutely. unless they cancel us which i hope they don't um, i think you have good sponsors so it should be okay yeah, fantastic sponsors and we, greens will, if you're listening. we will <laughs> anything that we want send us free stuff and we will gladly work that in um we are we are that professional so all right Lindsay. here we go so we'll we'll start with like a 30 second if you would um kind of elevator pitch bio about where you are right now and then we'll follow up of course um in terms of like how you got there so um tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now yeah, thanks, Brandon. So um, as you as you mentioned in the intro that I moved over in August into um, athletic administration, I was previously the department chair for the School of Kinesiology after being at Ball State for 15 years um, within um, the sport and exercise psychology graduate program and had opportunity after being the faculty athletic rep for six years to realize that um, I was really interested in athletic administration as well. And so um, now I oversee our performance and well-being areas, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports psychology and mental health and nutrition. Um, and then I also oversee three sports, women's volleyball, gymnastics and softball. So it's a great opportunity to kind of be in both places. I still do some supervision and mentoring for our graduate students who are doing applied work um, in athletics and still have a chance to do research and I teach a class. So it's a nice opportunity to do a little bit of a lot of things that are important to me. So it sounds like you have two jobs. Well, that is an interesting reflection. I've had the same one myself. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think in academia, it, it actually allows us to not have a restricted job description. And I have um, had some great leaders around me and great other administrators who've supported the creativity around that. Um, and actually, that's one of the things that really energizes me is to not have just a very structured day. And um, and so we're still figuring it out. It's the first position um, that Ball State has had that has, has joint faculty and other administration. And there aren't, there's only a handful of other faculty that I found in that are currently in athletic administration right now across the United States that have ventured over into athletics and none of them are still doing faculty stuff. I should say at the division one level, it's more common at division two and three. Um, it's division one level. And so I'm interested to see where it goes. There are some days that do feel a little like what hat am I wearing and other days it blends seamlessly. And so I'm focusing on those days sure. or the confusing days. That's awesome. And I hope that it becomes maybe a blueprint that other universities can, can follow. I think 
um, a conversation that comes up so often in our fields, as we all are well aware, is like who's actually doing some of this work, um, like who's receiving the emails from outside people. And so I think having someone embedded like your background and your knowledge is just, you know, such a game changer for your university and your athletics too. Thanks. I'm excited. Um, so as Brandon said, um, we're really interested in getting an idea of how our field has evolved, but also the people who are in it. Um, so we hope to better understand how key figures in our field got to where they are today, and we would absolutely put you in the category of a key figure. Um, so could you give us a background on your pathway to how you got to be where you are, um, including any uh, significant moments that may have shaped your experience in the field or in your yeah. career? Absolutely. Um, thanks for the opportunity to reflect on, on this journey a little bit. Um, that's, I think, one of the benefit of these types of roles is um, there is some of those moments of like, how did I get here? And what what were the influential people um, and places and things kind of along the way? So um, as you all know, I attended Georgia Southern to play soccer. I grew up in Indianapolis and was tired of playing soccer in the snow. Um, and the Bermuda grass was very attractive down um, in South Georgia. And we have this crab grass in Indiana that we had very few um turf fields at the time and they were really bad after turf. So those weren't exciting. So very excited to come down and play on this nice Bermuda grass um, down there. And that's really kind of what got me to George Southern. And at that moment, I knew I wanted to be in psychology and I probably had an um, idea of being a professor in my mind, um, but didn't have any idea about sports psychology, which is not an uncommon story that we hear at times when people go into to undergrad and um, met uh, Kevin Burke, um, who was running the graduate program um, at the time in sports psychology and said that there was an undergraduate class in um, sports psychology. And so I was like, well, that sounds great. So I took it um, and then really fell in love. At the time, I was thinking about um, either IO psychology um, or forensic psychology. And what I realized when I took the sports psychology class is that I actually wanted to focus on what makes people thrive rather than the disease and diagnosing of what was wrong with people. And so it really just said, I just felt happier in that type of class. Um, and I also, I felt that I could use my interest in psychology kind of in that way. And I think that's what really continues to get me excited about other areas of the field that I've kind of grown into. So I took that class. Um, and then, of course, Kevin is a great recruiter, so recruited me to stay. Uh, I had a chance to play soccer in the summers out in Jacksonville. So um, after I finished my eligibility, so it was a nice opportunity to keep those going. Um, and I fell in love and got engaged at Sweetheart Circle. So that also kept me um, wanting to be in Statesboro a bit longer while he finished his master's degree as well. So then I think we started looking at, you know, programs and we were graduate programs and um, there were not as many doctoral programs at the time. At that time, I was I wanted to go be a professor. We also started taking a, at Georgia Southern some counseling classes because we knew that that was an important component, um, but it wasn't, it was very informal. We just took a few classes um, over there, but it did. I did plant a seed for later, kind of where where I was going. I didn't really know it at the time, but it was important. And then, so then when we when I got into West Virginia, and I remember flying in a little small little plane with Paul Parker down into the regional airport and wondering what was happening to us. Um, those mountains were not something that I was familiar with, and while other places in the United States may not call them mountains, there are mountains to a Midwestern and um, South Georgia person. And um, immediately fell in love with with West Virginia. And then having the opportunity to go with Paula Parker was just another bonus. Um, and then my husband was able to find some opportunities there. So it was just a really great fit right away. And looking back, I'm not really sure how we got in, um, but thankful that we did. Um, and I had an opportunity to be um, Jack Watson's um, advisee, one of his first ones. And I'll go back real fast. When I was at Georgia Southern, my thesis advisor was Charlie Hardy, who is a past president. And he had been past president um, at that before our time there, but he was definitely an integral figure in service um, around the field. And, and just, I mean, just a remarkably intelligent human. Um, and so I just would sit in his office and just like take in any of the fumes from his intellectual um, capacity that I might be able to pick up in that space. So he was influential as along with uh, Kevin Burke at that in George Southern. So then at West Virginia, I had a chance to work with Jack. Um, 
And we did some, we did the counseling, got a master's degree in counseling again, which was really continuing this idea of, of how I felt counseling was important. I, I decided that I didn't want to be a licensed uh, counselor, but I really knew that the skill set was crucial to my, um, my understanding of the field. So that was really important to me. Um, and then Jack got us involved in um, an after school program um, where we were working with youth who were technically like in trouble. And so they had to go to after school detention um, and they were using physical activity to kind of help with some of their emotional regulation, but they were just kind of throwing the kids out and just hoping that playing some sport was going to make it all better. And so when Jack and I and a few others joined the program, we realized that we could help structure that a little bit and then really maximize their energy around that and teach them some of these social emotional skills that they wanted the, the, the kids to learn. And so we developed our first kind of program around that, which at the time I didn't know it, but then set the stage for the research that I continued um, thereafter as a, as a faculty member. But I think, um, and Jack wasn't, was also a past president, but hadn't been at the time he was there. So I think there were some moments um, between Dr. Hardy and Dr. Watson that were seeds are being planted as I was being mentored by leaders of ASP um, and again, really service-minded individuals. And I think that I, I'm realizing that that um, is something that is not accidentally mentored, even though it may be indirectly mentored. Um, people who are service-minded really uh, mentor that in others um, as they go. So then I got my first job at um, Southern Miss and coaching education. And I had been a soccer coach um, throughout the time at Georgia Southern um, and West Virginia and really enjoyed having that component outside of my sports psych academic world. Um, and so decided to spend some time in coaching education. So my first job at Southern Miss was running our undergraduate and graduate coach education programs and really got going um, on trying to impact coaches. So then they had the impact to the athletes that they're working with, um, kind of the ripple effect. And I also got my first retainer job um, after I was CMPC um, and working with a team. And that was really exciting to kind of have that first like contract of like, okay, like I can do this. Someone's going to pay me to do this work. So that was, uh, that was really an important milestone um, in that piece too. And I think that's when I also started getting excited about college athletics on the other side, instead of just as an athlete, um, what it might look like as a professional in that field. So I was there for three years and an instrumental part there is my husband and I wrote a book. And while it's not a sports psych book um, specifically, we definitely wrote a positive youth development twist to it. It's more of a coaching education book and a mental skills twist to it. So we had the luxury to kind of build that philosophy into that book. Um, and so it was an opportunity to, to really put some of the, the ideas that were important to us around around coaching and youth sport into a book that might help other coaches. So that was a instrumental part. And we um, did make it through. We said that was good marriage practice. Um, you can write a book together and survive. That that's a, that's a good, uh, good outcome. Um, and then we had our first child there. And I think that, again, it was an instrumental part of me being in this field as a mother and what that looked like. Um, and to be honest, I hadn't had a female mentors um, academically within sports psychology. There weren't any at Southern Miss. I mean, there weren't any at Georgia Southern and there weren't any at uh, West Virginia. And so um, as a mother in this field, I was trying to figure out what that looked like. Um, and, and it took me a while. Um, so not positive that I know what it looks like um, for me, but it took me a while um, to kind of figure out what that, what that looked like. Then I took a job but uh, Ball State, partly because of having a child and my parents were back here. And so it was important to get back so they could support me as a, as a working mother. Um, and Ball State has an outstanding um, graduate program and has for, for decades prior to me coming. Um, but I didn't know as much about the program as a master's level program. So I didn't know as much about it. But what I realized that they already had a really instrumental collaboration between the counseling psychology department and kinesiology, which is where sports psych is held, housed. And so again, that's that counseling piece being woven back into um, areas that I'm drawn into. Um, and Chris Carr was really instrumental in formulating that relationship um, at Ball State. He was in the counseling psychology program, but wanted to take some sports psychology classes. So they worked together, but we've had some, some real gurus um, at um, Ball State for you know in the eighties and nineties. Bella Weda was here and, and several others that really put um, 
when, when sports psychology was not as common in graduate programs, just like the master's level, really, really putting some great curriculum together. And then the Midwest itself is an outstanding place for graduate programs. And when we have our Midwest symposium, there's just, yeah, people from all over the place, many, many um, past presidents um, are around the Midwest um, in, in this area. So at Ball State, then I had a chance my second year to become a graduate program director. And that's when I really became a lot more deliberate in the field. Like, how is it going to help future students um, in this field, future professionals grow? And that's when we built in the counseling minor to the program. And then not too long after that, we built in a dual master's degree with counseling so students can make that choice too. So um, that was something that was really important to me. And I was able to continue my sport for development work um, over time there. So that's kind of what's got me to this point um, and kind of merging all those different highlights um, to where I get to spend my day now. That's awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. I think it's so interesting to hear about how like your own sport experience influenced like what do you want to do in grad school and then like mentors influencing and you just see like so many common threads as you eloquently strung together it's really cool i am grateful that those um components often came together very organically mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean i think that's such a i think that's so unique maybe it's not unique to our field maybe i shouldn't say that but in so many of these interviews that has been when people are talking about like these significant moments, it's almost like happenstance of like, well, I was here and this person was here, or I happened to be in the athletics office and someone was talking about this. And so all of these moments that you don't, I think at the time realize will be so significant later on. And then now like reflecting back and I, I really appreciate what you said about um, having female mentors because when we've interviewed like Jean Williams and some of these like and Robin Beely and uh like Joan Dude, all these like pioneer women in our field and, and they had very similar kind of experiences, which luckily now hopefully our students are having a different experience, but um still it's our field's not that, you know, old. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the added component to that is um, you know, mothers in this field. Right. Um adds another element of what that looks like as a, as a female. Yeah, for sure. I'm kind of um just in, <clears throat> reflecting in your kind of your story um struck by the fact that like a pivotal moment that you didn't mention was like when we were working together at West Virginia too. You conveniently left that part out. And I think that's fine. Um, this is about you today. You went to West Virginia? Uh, yeah, I did. I don't know <laughs> if, um, if you were aware of that or not. I think we may have had a class at some point together. Or well, you we, do look familiar. Yes, yeah. they're in the hall. Um, it's nice to see you again. Good to see you too. Good to see you too. And then you're at Georgia Southern. That's uh, interesting. I'm Georgia Southern right now as well. Yeah, yeah. All of those things didn't even get a like, you know, I, this has been kind of like a like you came on this podcast to promote your graduate program and we're sitting here with our own graduate program not a lot to say anything about i think about i did that. talk about the george southern graduate program yeah but you talk more about ball state oh. so well you know anyway we'll let me people make their own choices no, no, no that's fine it's fine yeah yeah yeah. You're our guest. We want you, like I said. Maybe so. when you uh when you finish your presidential term, you can talk about Georgia Southern's graduate program too. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'll also be conducting the interview. So can monopolize all the time. Yeah. I will ask the questions and then answer them. It's sounds be, just like you. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's gonna be a very different format. It does sound a lot like me. So <clears throat> thinking back to because you, you did reference kind of what the field was like at the time when you were coming through, um, you know, your your undergraduate and graduate like studies. Um, we're interested in kind of a snapshot of the field prior to you becoming president. So thinking back, and I know it's not that terribly long ago, but it does seem that like so much changes, um, or at least can change, you know, very, very quickly at, at times. And sometimes it's very, very stagnant too. Um, how would you describe um, the field of sport and exercise psychology? And then ASP as well, prior to you running for president? 
Yeah, it, it really, when I was kind of reflecting on this um, idea, it wasn't a long time ago, but we've had some major moments in, in our history that have influenced that. And, you know, kind of thinking through the time in um, Portland and other moments when we were discussing the fact that we have not, we had not integrated, we had not named, we had not taken action around social justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion in the way that I think we felt like we should. Um, and that was was called out prior to the, the COVID um, pandemic and to the really the systematic racism um, call to address. So it's interesting to think through that that was prior to that. But I heard that loud and clear. I was in a business meeting when we decided to um, elect and name someone, a division head for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that, again, looking back, that that, that really hit me hard as far as if I'm going to lead, then that is an important part of what I want to bring in as well. Um, so I think that that was part of our field. We, there was a call, there was a cry, there was um, you know, a call out that ASP and our field was not looking at inclusion in, in ways that were including all the members um, and addressing all of our clients probably at the same, at the same respect. So I think that that was um, really, really instrumental around the eight, nine, uh, 2018, 2019 timeframe. Then I think the other part is we were also, um, I feel like in a kind of an identity challenge time. Around that same time, I was on one of the initial task force, the CMPC task force, where we were, a group of us got together and we were trying to, we were tasked with um, trying to figure out what to do with our identity. And I do remember us sitting there thinking, I, I don't I know what my identity is, but I don't know what our shared identity is in trying to figure out how we move that forward. And there was there were different opinions about what that identity could be for ASP. Um, and so we were stuck kind of for a while of what do we do with this? And I think that carried into 2020, 2021, 22, with starting to do when we hired a marketing firm to actually help us do some investigation of what our internal identity was before we could tell others externally what our identity was. So that was happening around that time frame when I was coming in to the president as well. So those are the two things that I felt like were really crucial that I heard um, when I accepted the nomination to run that I thought were going to be important to continue on. Lindsay, if you think about when you decided to run, what specifically motivated you to put your name in the hat, or I'm assuming someone came knocking, but uh, what made you say yes? Well, I remember vividly Rent Walker calling me. I was sitting in my old faculty office, um, like January or something, and he called me and Brent Walker and I are colleagues, but not someone I chat with on the phone. So I was like, hello. And then he called me like, it's like, I want you to think about this. And I was like, but did you call the right number? Like, are, are, do you want me to help you find nominees? Sorry. It's like, no, no, your name is, and I'm reaching out to you. And I said, I said, Brent, I, I'm no, thank you. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm not ready. I think you have the wrong number. I'll give you some other names. And I think, I don't know if that was 17 or 18. Um, and so I just kind of put that aside, but I can, I don't have a very vivid memory, but I have a very vivid memory of sitting in my office, like contemplating like what just happened. But that that planted the seed. Um, and I think that's also one of the things that I realized really um, that's important to my heart at that moment is the invitation, the invitation to sit at the table, the invitation to be nominated, the invitation to um, be recognized for an award, the invitation to serve, um, where that is when it first like hit my heart about what that meant, that invitation meant, even though it wasn't the time for me to accept it. And then I, I got a call the next year or two um, about it as well. And so, but then it wasn't quite as um, abrupt in my thinking. So I was thinking a little bit more about it, went home and talked to others about it. And they're like, oh, you should think about this, you know, whatever. And then when Tracy called, I was in, um, it was COVID time. So I was walking around my basement, um, I come out of my basement office and she was like, I want to talk to you. And so I knew what, why she was calling at that point. And I remember pacing through and I said to Tracy, I said, are you sure? And I really respect Tracy. I certainly respect Brent. And I thought like, if, if they are having these conversations, then there's something that they know about this, that I don't know about this, 
that they think might be a good fit. And so there was a little bit of that trust and faith and like, maybe this is a path. And, and I hadn't sat on the e-board before, so I hadn't had um, that, that experience specifically to bring to the table. So I was asking Tracy, I was like, what do you think that I bring to the table that you think would be helpful at this time? And she said, I think you have an inclusive focus. Um, you have a broad perspective of what sports psychology is and who it serves. And I think we need to also focus on our um, youth sport a bit more than we are right now. And so sh she's like, and I, then I said, are you sure? And she's like, to be honest, I just want you to be you. If you just be you, you'll be good. And I was like, oh, okay. So again, having not served on the e-board, I didn't really have a thought of what that might look like or how that might play out. Um, but that, the the invitation is what got me to say yes. The invitation to be myself is what got me to say yes. The the two mentors that I had that were instrumental and Dr. Hardy and Dr. Watson got me to say yes at that moment. Now, I will tell you that Jack told me not to do it when I called him, but his uh, mentoring over the years um, were there. You know, he was like, don't do it. He, he, most of the things that I have done, um, he have told me not to do. So maybe there's that like parent feeling of like they tell you not to do it and you decide to do it anyway. Um, but he was like, nah, I don't think it's not the right time. It's a lot of work. Are you sure you want to do this? You know? Um, so despite that, uh, I said, yes. And I am very thankful for that. And I do think there was something naive that was probably annoying at times, but also probably perfect at times that I didn't have eboard experience coming in. I hadn't had a specific experience with a different eboard group to know what I wanted to occur or what I didn't want to occur or was that I was afraid would occur. And I made some mistakes because I didn't have that eboard experience, but I think there was also something um, pure about the fact that I hadn't had that experience that I was bringing to the table of like what what that looked like. The um invitation piece mm -hmm. I think is really really um important and then also really special it seems like you know the way that you describe it and then and I know we've talked about it like in side conversations but that's something that's come up I feel like more and more across different organizations is you know you put these calls out for nominations for different um could be committees, um, executive board positions and whatnot. And, you know, we, and then when you get people that either self-nominate or maybe they are nominated by others, it's really exciting, um, which sounds, I realize kind of, kind of weird, but it's like the idea that people like want to give back or they want to serve, but not everybody necessarily feels like maybe they're ready it, it seems like, you know, and so to have somebody like reach out and say, like, we think you'd be wonderful in this role. We believe in you um, can really be a game changer for not just the nomination, but then those people end up eventually like, you know, in those positions, you know, at the table and have an opportunity to make a lot of like significant you know changes and impact and whatnot um but to hear like how important that was for you i think i, I hope resonates with like all the <clears throat> you know we've we've you know, broken a lot of records in terms of like the number of listeners um we have and so i think for the number of people that clearly like they're going to listen to this I, I hope that is something that that resonates with them that when they're asked or them taking the time to ask somebody else that they think would be great is that much so much more meaningful than maybe they realized at that time. Well, I I think that that's the part that I'm thinking now is what what invitations can I put out for people? Um, whether I you know it's we just had a similar situation with department chair um, and the invitation for me to serve as department chair and then for our next person to be a department chair. That invitation, I think change the trajectory of what that looked like for those individuals, the invitation for, you know, award, when we do awards for ASP to nominate someone, invitation for um, fellows. I mean, there's a lot of things within our organization where I think the invitation from someone who has 
served in that role or received that award or whatever it may be is really impactful to our our next generation of individuals. And we had such we have such a just profound, impactful first, second generation of ASP leaders that I think that I'm not alone in feeling like as maybe the third or fourth generation of individuals, like I'm I'm not good enough yet. And so when those individuals invite others to the table, I think it allows us to continue growing the field with good people versus leaving a gap, um, and which what is what can happen sometimes when good leaders leave and they don't invite the next group in, there's a gap. Um, and then it's not always filled by people who are either ready or have the best intentions. So I think we have a responsibility to bring others in to help fill that gap over time. Is it weird to think that you are one of those people that others like look at as like that generation, like that part of that group that you were referring to that had an impact on you that like there are people that like think of you that way? I think we can delete that statement. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not answering that not talking about that it's good <laughs> so yes super awkward and i'm not really sure that that's, that's the case yet but thanks brandon you're very kind oh well <laughs> i think that's the case um for sure for a lot of people um okay so you're you know you're elected and i actually remember when uh, i remember when you were on the ballot because you were very very i think humble about that this the, the whole experience um and I say that in a very like endearing way because I think that was part of like you being you right um as you were saying before and and I remember when we got the email um like announcing like who the you know people were that were elected and like seeing your like picture and I was like oh my god because I, I I know I reached out to you and it was just like oh my this is incredible um so you're elected what you know and and you're walking into this like three-year commitment um at least in that particular role what are what were you hoping to accomplish um while you were president of asp yeah i think this is always such a i really i really had a lot of internal struggle with this that was certainly the question that was asked you know in our our statement when we were running um and certainly something for our presidential address that we're asked to, to uh, contribute. And it, it feels, it felt, it feels even like reflecting on it, it feels awkward to to identify something that I as a leader would want to accomplish when I don't, didn't have a chance, don't have a chance to like talk through that with the rest of the e-board. I, I really, I really felt as the president that, you know, I got the initial email from people who wanted to, to share moments. I, you know, had to put the final words out when we had different releases, but the decisions that were made were not, were not my decisions. We're not, we're not, I, I hope not um, strong handed by me as a leader, really collective. And so I struggled with how I would identify what this looked like by not talking to the group um, before, during, and after. Um, and I, and I, you know, when I think about what I wanted to accomplish, there were there were um, maybe some some values and some broad areas that I wanted to focus on, but as far as like specific tasks or goals, I didn't bring them to the table. And that some may critique me for that because some people have very deliberate goals, but and I, I have a lot of deliberate goals in my life. But I really saw more of a um, an atmosphere and a climate and a culture that I wanted to create versus like goals. But I also knew that there was in no way, shape or form that I could do any of that unless that fit what the others wanted to do. So, you know, even when I when I gave my presidential address and and talked about, um, I think the things that were kind of part of my my the climate that I wanted to bring in were growing in our partnerships. And that was internal and external. I knew we had had some role challenges with other part with other organizations that may have been overstepping different areas within um, the mental health space, the sports psychology space. Um, So I wanted to figure out how to become better partners with that group, with those groups. I wanted to um, broaden who I thought sports psychology applied to. Um, 
And because I think a lot of times our focus had been on elite and Olympics, which is amazing and awesome. But I think there's a large group. Um, and I think if we can get to our youth and younger athletes, that that's really impactful. And I don't think I didn't want to hire. I wanted to kind of reduce the hierarchy of our professionals based on the level that they're working with. Um, and I wanted to really continue to um, help our identity and what that was. And I felt like those other two areas might help with our identity. So then we could share our identity externally more succinctly and more systematically and really wanted to continue to figure out how we could internally and then externally be more inclusive um, and diverse in perspectives at the table and equitable. And then I guess when you reflect on all of that, are there anything, any specific like pieces or accomplishments or thing because I think you're right it's like you look at it as like a one-year term it's hard to get like a lot of stuff done in like a year these really are um particularly when you're talking about like changing cultures and and whatnot that these are these are lifelong kinds of um initiatives but are there any accomplishments or things as you reflect now that you're kind of out of that space that you feel like, yeah, I, I really, I, I'm really proud that we were able to do that, you know, um, at that time. Yeah. You know, I think, um, some of our, our work around our deliberate thinking, that's what I'll say. Um, deliberate thinking around diversity, equity, inclusion, I think warms my heart. Um, a lot of work to still be done, but when, um, over over my the three years, so it wasn't specifically again my one year. Our board became more diverse in the a lot of different groups that we were representing, um, and from you know sexual orientation to to race to age to disability status to international status um, to different levels of professional work, and that um, that was something that I was felt proud to contribute to growing a space where people felt that they could come to the table. Um, and I, not that every moment felt inclusive. I'm not saying that, but I felt like they felt they could, they deserved and people wanted them to be in those spaces. Cause I would leave um, our e-board meetings, um, especially when we, we were able to meet in person and very energized by the diverse perspectives that were at the table, more diverse than um, I have an opportunity to work in a lot of the other groups when I go back to my to my job and my work, um, and so that felt really important to me to make space. And then, you know, I do think in that one year, try to when I was leading meetings, try to make sure voices could be heard in spaces. Again, it's not easy, and it wasn't perfect, and there were there were moments that. I, I didn't do it as well as I wish I had, um, or we as an e-board didn't, but I, I wanted, that was something I heard before in Deering that I wanted to make sure that I could contribute as much as I possibly could to that space. So I think that, and then by doing that, then there were more opportunities to put some action around um, some of our, our other work, such as um, we added our strategic planning group um, facilitators. We had some diversity and equity training with them before they led our group and that hadn't been done before to make sure that they heard our desire to that for that to be built into a strategic plan. I mean, the timing was just right that I got to be part of a strategic plan um, during my presidential year. And so we worked really hard to make sure that DIBJ is when we moved to that was part was was built in throughout our strategic objectives, as well as its own strategic objective. Um, and so to have that in in writing, quote unquote, as part of our plan um, was really important to me. And then the the template for our conference locations, the conference locations were were definitely a challenge for me while I was um, in, the, in that three years. And, um, you know, there were highs and lows around that. But I think having a template to help evaluate holistically where we want to hold our conferences in the future that match our values won't make sure we get it right all the time, but it'll help us be deliberate. So then at least um, future boards, because we make them, you know, several years in advance, future boards don't, um, they know, they know how we made that decision and they can feel, feel good about that in there. So those are the things. And then I think, you know, ending, and this was, 
you know, in my last year, so I wasn't technically president at the time, they had the youth sport panel that really focused on systematic change was really kind of a, a highlight to have that on Saturday at the conference to end um, was really important and, and to have a stage for that conversation. Well, yeah, that was a great, it was a great session. Okay, Lindsay, it's time for your story. This is uh, a fan favorite. Um, although I've never asked a fan if it is their favorite, so I guess it's just a favorite. <laughs> <Soon>. um, <laughs> um, we would love to hear a fun story from your time in the field. Anything goes, anything um, that just brings a smile to your face. And because we're all competitive, you get fake points for involving ASK members in your story as well. Well, I don't have very many sports psychology stories that don't have ASK members. So um, I do appreciate the bonus points because I, I am competitive. I do like bonus points. So I think this one gets about 40 bonus points because um, in 2015, when ASK was in Indianapolis, um, we live about we lived about a half an hour from the conference location and had been talking to uh, Jack Watson um, around hosting our socials. And I do think all of my stories have to do with any sort of um, social for um, graduate programs. But this one in particular was a great one because Jack was like, how are we going to get, you know, 40 people from downtown Indianapolis to your house in the suburbs? And I was like, well, that's a good question. So we we thought for a long time and Jack was very confident on how we could get the kegs to my house, but it was less confident on how we get the people to the house. So the kegs were no problem. Um, and he said that, you know, West Virginia would be happy to buy extra kegs if needed. So he's like, you know, take care of that. So those were there and, and Jack was going to be there, but then making sure we could get the rest of the people there um, to help with the cakes was going to be really important too. And so um, my husband, Tim was at the time, is at the, was works for Washington Township School District, which is in Indianapolis. And um, he's like, I'm sure we can rent a school bus for you. And so the opportunity to um, have a school bus pull up to uh, whatever hotel, the Westin or, you know, some fancy hotel for a conference and load, you know, 30 people in uh, West Virginians in at that, you know, point, because there, there is like this aura that, that goes around with us and then drive, you know, 25 minutes to the suburb of uh, Fishers to drop people off and then have the school bus pull in front of my house in the neighborhood and everybody to unload, um, was was pretty lovely. And then just to have the the people who are really important to me in the field in our house, in our home, um, hosting and hospitality is, is a value of our family. And there's nothing more joyful um, to have people you care about in a space that is meaningful to you. And so to have people there, um, and then we had some, you know, extra significant others and partners joined as well. And my kids were there. And unfortunately, we didn't have quite the level of iPhones that we do now. So most of the pictures that we took were very blurry of that night. So we don't have any great ones. So we'll just have to continue to make up stories because they will only live in our mind rather than in actual pictures. So, but it was great. So that was a good one. So I think, yeah, there's probably 35 bonus points that I get for that one too. You get bonus points too, because Brandon and I were there. So I feel like as hosts, yep. you get extra points when we're in your yes. Thank you. Yeah, you're the thank first you. person. You're the first person we've interviewed that's given themselves the number of points they feel like they deserve. Which is, <laughs> you get bonus points for that. That's usually our job. But okay, I, you go ahead and, and and just continue. Thanks, thanks. You'll just you'll check, sign, uh, sign off. Yeah, and like, I was fine. really hoping that that would be um one of your stories because I remember like waiting for the bus and it pulling up and people being like. Of course, like, of course, you all are taking a school bus and the bus ride home was so fun. Um, I remember like we, of course, had to play country roads because we just can't seem to help ourselves. And it it honestly felt like a bus ride that was like coming home from camp. Like it was it was so fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. Too. I didn't come home in the bus. So it's good to hear that part of the story. So because I didn't experience that. Yeah, so. the bus ride home was a good time. Probably mm -hmm. also and due to the kegs, but also yeah. I think just the fellowship. We did have food home. there. We did have some food there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I remember because I I was late and I remember pulling up to your house and seeing this giant this school bus and then somebody had put a flag, a West Virginia um, University flag. They attached it to the school bus and it's part. And we're like, which which one do you think the 
um socials at and then we see that like oh it's, it's i'm assuming that's probably like that's got to be her house awesome. you just don't see that every day i do think my neighbors are probably thankful because the school bus still takes up less space than like 40 cars so i think they were probably really grateful that it was a school bus right. yeah we don't live in that neighborhood anymore so i can't ask them but it's good but you know the the other we just hosted so i'll tell you this other one is when I was at West Virginia and uh, Dr. Astro would host our ho holiday parties for us. I remember his beautiful home and just his lovely family and, and going there and thinking one day, I hope I can host our students. Um, and just this past Saturday, we hosted I, our ninth um, holiday gathering at our house. Um, and we had about almost 40 there. We've got a large group in our um, program right now and they're significant others and we had several we had one whose girlfriend drove in nine hours to come to the party and had to drive home the next day nine hours to study to go to a final and then we had two who were about an hour and a half away that brought their siblings with them and I just just feel very joyful again and there are a few ass members there too so I should get points for that too but um not all of them are ass members yet um but I I just feel really joyful to um be able to allow people to come together and feel again feel safe to be at the table feel feel heard feel like there's a place there regardless of where they are in the program or what they're doing and then um I was walking down the stairs as we went down to um to the basement for some games and and reflected on the or you reflected on the thought of in a year from now we hopefully will have our third um, faculty member in our program, which we haven't had before, and how awesome it will be to be walking down the stairs with them and letting them enjoy that opportunity too. And so um, I'm sure that person will be an ass member as well. So uh, we can go ahead and give a, give a bonus point for that. But I think, you know, those moments of being, being together, and that's Dr. Ostro's fault because my house doesn't look like his house, but still it was the idea of like welcoming people into your home um, to let them know that they're important to you. Um, it, it is and I think the bonus point thing is getting a little out of you can't <laughs> get bonus points for something for hypothetical people <laughs> <laughs> but apparently you can Lindsay's like no actually you can yeah and I'll well, I want to make sure I get ahead so when you do your interview Brandon you're you're not calculating my points to try to beat me so <laughs> yes I right now you're at three <laughs> So well done. Thanks. Thanks. Out of the running. Um, so I know we were kind of like, the, we're talking about this a little bit before too, um, like the evolution of like the field. Um, how would you describe that um, in yeah. terms of, of, of sports psychology? And and I, using anchors like good or bad, you know, is probably may may fit and it also may not fit um mm -hmm. but we certainly know like as part of like when things evolve you know sometimes it's for for the better and then maybe sometimes it's it's not so i guess for you like what comes to mind when you think about that process yeah well i think i'll preface my thoughts with i certainly learned more than ever in the past three years that leaders make decisions with the best information they have at the time they have to make a decision. And there were times where like hours later or a day later, we would have different information, but we, we had to make a decision and it can be immobilizing to wait until you think you've got all the information, but eventually a decision has to be made. So it, it's really, there isn't any moment that I would critique of previous leaders because I don't know. I have hindsight now for all those moments. I don't know what information they had access to or, or ways they were thinking. And um, I, I wasn't present when any of the decisions were made, good or bad. And so I really, um, they, I am positive they were making the decisions in the best way they possibly could at the time with all the information they could in the best way of the field. Like I have no doubt that that was what was happening um, and feel like that will be, continue to be what happens um, in e-board meetings, even if those of us on the outside, which is a little bit weird now to be back on the outside, um, feel like they should have done something differently. So in that evolution, I, I think I'll talk more of 
um, some of the more recent things and some of the ways that I think have challenged us um, and that I think, think are going to continue to evolve, even though I don't have the answer necessarily on where I think they should go. Um, but I think this idea of inclusion and voices at the table from um, what's what's working in our fellows to the e-board, um, and then certainly to our representation with our with our clients and our students. So I think, and that is, we know that historically, um, we haven't welcomed people at the table because that can be scary from a power standpoint. And so, but I think we are evolving and um, reflecting and challenging ourselves in ways we hadn't before. Um, around that. And it'll still take some time. Um, and we know different people are ready for that different stages um, of their leadership moments. But I'm really hopeful that that's going to continue. I think um, th this whole and I, you know, I mentioned as parts of my story, this the counseling piece in there, I, I, I do believe that this we when we used to think like there was, you know, kinesiology trained or counseling trained, I do think that that it it's, we're evolving to not having those silos. Um, and that doesn't mean people can't be in one of those spaces, but I don't think it's that or that. Um, and a job requires that or that. I think it really um, allows people to have um, an identity that that in their own education and their own job and their own work blurs those things a little bit to varying degrees. And that there's space for that. And so I think we're evolving. I don't know that we everybody feels good about it or have the answers, but in our um last past president's lunch at ASP, there was a definitely a different tone to understanding what that may look like versus even the year or two before when I sat into those in those lunches. So this idea that um, you know, our, our previous past presidents are also looking at that differently now too, um, I think is encouraging. Um, because there are la there are strong important voices at all generations of ASP still, and when we have those voices talking to each other about some of these evolving areas of our field, I think then they can impact the people that they touch, which I think is really important. So, I felt a different a different tone in that past president's lunch than I had before, and I think it had a lot to do with trained to do what, and and that also leads to our this conversation around what the definition of mental health is. We're, we're evolving on that before. It was very much of like mental health means you have to be licensed. Please don't say that word. It is not allowed for anybody to say. And I think we've done some work, many other organizations have as well, um, especially post um, COVID-19, um, to, to say mental health looks broader and there are components of um, of counseling and therapy and diagnosing that do belong with certain credentials. But the conversation around mental health and mental well-being isn't exclusive to a licensed professional to have a conversation about. And so I think, again, I think these areas are kind of scary to us as ASP. Um, and but at the same time, I think we're having more of those conversations. And even in our business meeting, this last business meeting, the conversation around mental health definition looked different than the previous year. And so, which is time, it takes time. And, and sometimes we're, we only have a, we have a short moment to try to articulate a lot. And so we don't always get it right in that short uh, moment to articulate, but I think we're evolving in those spaces. Um, and I think the evolution while slow and sometimes frustrating will help us be more deliberate and more intentional and probably more accurate in the way we want it to be than if we just rushed into doing something and saying, this must be the way. From there then, where do you think the field and ASP are going? Yeah. Oh, I I told Kent um, when we've been talking about our, um, our branding work that I envision at Paralympics and Olympics, when we're watching them on TV, NBC, that when a commercial pops up, an ASP CMPC commercial will pop up. That it will be there and present, and people will be like, "Yes, um, you know." And, and we laugh and talk about how many millions of billions of dollars that will take. But at the same time, that's that's the vision I have. That it is present in households and in ways that allow people to access resources that they need in different stages. Um, 
And so that's, that's kind of the hope that I have. And I think the other kind of vision that I have like that is just a large um, conference table that continues to have um, a variety of individuals sitting there debating in, in respectful ways. Um, and I also envision that as people retire and age out of their desire to be, you know, daily, weekly involved in ASP, that they will bring others into that space. Um, so I, 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 I do think that that's where ASP is going. That's not as tangible as maybe other ideas that you've received, but I think, you know, you've, you've seen this now, this idea of this, the culture is what I want to create because I think when the culture is there, then we can do amazing things well beyond anything that I might be able to predict that we could do. Great. So I'm going to come full circle back because Brandon made a comment earlier about you being influential in younger professionals' lives. And I'm one of those individuals. I don't think I would have ended up at Southern had we not had a conversation um, early on in my sports side career. So I think this question is a full circle moment for that and for me in general and where I'm at. Um, so what advice do you have for students and new professionals entering the field now? Yeah, so I, um, when I was president-elect, Kinsa was president, and Kinsa is an eloquent, beautiful, intelligent woman, leader, and, you know, also our first Black um, president, and I watching her in my presidential elect year, and we were doing this all on Zoom. We couldn't even meet in person. So that that complicated things. I was just like, I I can't, I can't be her. I can't do that. I can't do that. That's not me. Like I and, and then I was like, maybe I shouldn't be here. You know, maybe she can say an extra year and I'll just be president co-president or president elect twice. It's like, you know, how can I like allow her to like do this again? And I think that was genuinely like a, a feeling that people had on the e-board of just really, really respecting her. And when I became, and she was great. She's an awesome mentor. And when I became president, I was like immobilized. Like there was about a, maybe a two or three week period where like I, Kent was like, are you going to respond to an email? And I'm like, I I can't. And he was like, what's wrong? And I really would type things. And I was like, it doesn't sound like Kent's son. I would like delete it. And I type it again. I'm like, doesn't sound like Kent's son. And I, I really like, I was fearful of a whole, of holding our first, um, e-board meeting uh, virtually because I was like, it's not going to be the way Kensa did it. And this was not on Kensa never put any of those expectations on me. These were all my expectations on me. She was wonderful and supportive all the time. And then at one point I just was sitting in a home and thought, heard Tracy's words and thought I have to be me. Like I will not lead the same way she did um, and can't lead the same way she did. And so I've just got to be, you know, the Lindsay that I am. And so like in a moment, I was just like, all right, here you go. Ask, this is what you get. It's Tracy's fault. She said, be me. And, and then I was just did it. And it, it, it was just this like cloud that was lifted off of me to just be me. Um, and then that allowed, so that's what I would say. I just told someone recently, like, don't spend any more moments than you have to trying to be anybody else because I, people may have been annoyed by the way I led, but I did it better than I would have. I tried to be somebody else. And so just don't wait till you're 40 plus to make that uh, realization happen. Do that early and do it often and just be authentic in your space because the the strengths will, will come out faster and people will um, be more likely to follow and just, and um, want to be around leaders who are being themselves. So do it as fast and as often and as early as you can in your career. I love that. Especially, I feel like, I don't know, when you go to ASP as a young professional, it can be so intimidating, especially when you're mentored by so many incredible professionals and then you're surrounded by so many incredible professionals. So just, yeah, I think that that's a really good tidbit for everybody but especially for the early early people yeah absolutely it's still intimidating even later so uh, I don't know if that's good news or bad news but <laughs> you've done so much um 
and I know just from knowing you for so long, um, as we've known each other, um, and you being as I mentioned before, as humble as you are, are going to be the last person to kind of like toot their own horn about like, look what I did. Right. So I know the impact that you've already had is pretty substantial. And we also know that you're really, really hard at work in a number of different ways, as you've already kind of like described. Um, so when you think about the impact that you will have had, you know, whatever tense, you know, you would prefer, um, you know, on the field, what do you hope that will be? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it is a really hard question to kind of think about. I think, um, I think just kind of as maybe my advice said, is just hoping that maybe there was a moment of interaction that someone had with me that encouraged them to be who they are, you know, just in whatever shape that is, you know, even when we have graduate students that come into our program and decide after being here that they love Ball State, but field is not what they want to be doing, that I get often looks of like, you're not mad at me. I'm like, no, like if you can find your, your thing, go do it. Like that's, that's my hope. And so really just that people are able to have encounters that allow them to figure out who they are and what they want to be and then spaces to be that. I think that's what I like about this new opportunity in the areas that I get oversee is there's a lot of support services that go, go in to facilitating somebody um, being able to, to thrive. So yeah, I think that it's just that that no one felt like they couldn't do something that they wanted to do after a conversation with me. Um, and I think, you know, you know, that, that our women are encouraged to be in the field and that, you know, we didn't talk about, but in the Atlanta ASP, I brought my three month old, two month old son with me. And he, he, you know, I carried him around for the two and a half days. I was there with a short conference and I got some really mean looks from people, really mean looks. I got two nasty emails that told me it was inappropriate to bring and he never cried in a session. He cried in our hotel room, asked Paul and Linda, but he never cried in a session. Like he never interrupted anybody's presentation or anybody's work that they were doing. Um, but, um, and then I got several like looks of like, um, you know, thank you for modeling this. And, you know, this last ask, we saw more and more families there in Orlando. Um, but I think that was that one of those things of just like people, if if that's what they need to do to be able to be present, that they're encouraged. So whatever it's, whatever it is that they can just be themselves in, in this field, in this field in, is inclusive for anybody who wants to be in this space. That's great. I mean, I can say, I uh, well, I don't know if I was lucky or unlucky to go to school with Megan Hallbrook, but I did. Um, and just the way that she talks about like your impact on her. And I think the things that you're speaking to are the things that like she would say. And so, you know, I think that impact is very far reaching, um, which is incredible. Thank you. As are Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Lindsay, you have been so gracious with your time and, and all of your reflections so far. I really appreciate like how much thought you've put into these answers as well. Um, is there anything that we haven't asked you about or anything that you want to share? Just anything that you want to say? The mic, the mic is yours. Thanks. No, I thanks for thanks for the opportunity to reflect on these moments. I think I've sprinkled in um, you know, some of the stories and gotten the most points I could get um, throughout our conversation. But I, you know, I think that I just, yeah, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll take this opportunity to invite people into the space. Like, I please go encourage someone else to come into this space. The invitation is strong. It can be felt. It might take a couple times before someone says yes. Um, and it might not be that actual invitation that they take. It might be an, another one. Um, but the first invitation is what got them to be thinking about it. Um, we just, we want to spend time supporting, growing, um, making room. There is so much room in this field for everyone. There isn't a scarcity. There, there's space. There's opportunity. Um, and so I just continue to hope that we have this mindset in our field that that there's 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 opportunity for anybody to be in it and um, we don't need to protect it in ways that are exclusive.
Thanks. Well, as Megan said, I mean, a huge thank you to you um, and, you know, for, for sharing your, number one, for your commitment and all the work that you have done and continue to do, and then taking some time out of your, what we already know is a pretty busy schedule to, um, to reflect on that. And, um, you know, I think to the benefit of, of the folks, you know, within our field and, and maybe those that are thinking about sports psychology and ask and aren't involved, but, you know, listen to, to this, um, and it kind of encourages them to take whatever that next step might be for them. Um, I think there's something to be said about that. Um, and, you know, another huge thank you is, I, I don't even know if you remember, but when I was still an undergrad, I, I reached out to you when you were at West Virginia, because I was like, I'm thinking about applying. Can you, would you be willing to like share some of your experiences with me? And you did. Um, and it was, you know, I think that generosity that, you know, you demonstrated back when, you know, I don't mean, I'm not trying to age anybody here, but like at that stage of like both of our careers um, and then the impact that you had on me when we were only at West Virginia at the same time for two years, but it was like, as soon as I got there, I mean, I was, I, I felt like I, I was with you. Um, we did a lot of stuff like from the get go and got the most out of those two years. And then it just kind of, you know, took off from there. So, um, so it's really, really special to be able to hear um, in this particular space, you know, your experiences, um, you know, as, as you reflect on everything. So thank you for taking the time to share that with, with everybody. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate the work you're doing and, um, you know, ASP has struggled to um, keep records of our history beyond just, you know, kind of anecdotal ideas. And so um, we do have a new server now that they're collecting information on, which which happened over the past year. But I think these stories definitely will help with that history. So thanks for your time on that as well. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And with that, we've asked Dr. Lindsay Blom has answered and we'll see you next time.